Man alive, can can Lake Mead catch a break? I'm watching the news here today of this semiconductor fire at Hoover Dam. Uh, just one of many things going wrong at Lake Mead. Ah, crazy. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here, your host, delivering common sense conservatism this time every weekday from 2 to 3. Friends, I, I, a lot going on. I, I want to get uh, onto and discuss a little bit here the shooting in Greenwood. Uh, Indiana, Greenwood Park Mall, Sunday night, around 6 p.m., just as people are starting to sit down for dinner. A 20-year-old gunman goes into the bathroom, spends about an hour there assembling, apparently, one of his rifles that he'd had uh, taken apart so he could conceal it better in his backpack. Comes out of the bathroom, like I said, about an hour later, opens fire, and in the midst of all of this, there's a young man, Elijah Dickon, 22 years old, who is carrying a handgun. He engages with the shooter and takes him down and ends essentially the attack before it could get any worse. Now, that's not to say that this was uh, something that passed without any incident. There were three victims who passed away. The shooter was the fourth person to die that day. My understanding is a couple of people had some minor injuries. So now the debate, of course, is swirling about what this all means and why it's relevant. Indiana, I want to, this is an interesting part here. Indiana is a constitutional carry state. You know what this means? This means that you do not need a permit to lawfully carry a concealed and loaded handgun when you're outside of your, your home or, or your business, for example. Now, this would be different than here in Nevada. In Nevada, you're required to get a permit. You've got to go down to the sheriff's office, fill out some paperwork, get some training. You got to go through all the, the hoops. Then you've got to sit down at the sheriff's office. They, they have, by the way, they have an online portal. It <laughs> does not work well. Got to sit down there. It'll take a couple hours. They don't make it easy, is my point. But in the end, you can get a permit here in Nevada. But, uh, you know, it's um, been a bit of a process. Guess when Indiana made this change to constitutional carry? This law just went into effect July 1st. So, well, we'll say that approximately two weeks before this incident. And yes, this isn't being talked about. Elijah Dickon, the hero that stopped this killer dead in his tracks, literally, did not have a permit for the gun that he was carrying. This is the part of the story nobody wants to talk about because I went back and I looked at some of the haranguing news coverage that led up to this law taking effect, like I said a couple weeks ago now, there was a piece by Tom Davies in the Associated Press. Indiana police set a state handgun permit requirement ends. The article in part reads, Republicans pushed the repeal 
which takes effect Friday through the state. This is June 30th, so on the eve of the requirement to have a permit to carry a concealed weapon expiring. So the Republicans pushed the appeal through the state legislature this spring over the vocal opposition of the state police superintendent and several law enforcement groups. It goes on and names them. In particular, the state police superintendent, a guy named Doug Carter, sharply criticized Republican lawmakers during legislative hearings on the repeal, blaming, quote, political posturing for their push and saying that if lawmakers, quote, support this bill, you will not be supporting us, referring to law enforcement. Now, okay. I think this begs a bit of a deep dive on this subject because, and if you know, I was this morning I was on with Alan Stock, and we always talk about these First Amendment, uh, Second Amendment issues, pardon me, and we, one of, one of the things that Alan is a vocal proponent of is constitutional carry, and I agree with him. Because I'm going to tell you, and it's not because of this incident, I just want to point out that all the people that were vocally opposed to law-abiding citizens being able to constitutionally carry a gun and not go through a licensing process are now very quiet. By the way, here is the Greenwood police chief speaking about Mr. Dickin, Elijah Dickin, the private citizen who took down the killer. Here are his remarks. It was a very, very fast response, but I'm gonna tell you, the real hero of the day is the, the citizen that was lawfully carrying a firearm in that food court and was able to stop this shooter uh, almost as soon as he began. Yeah, so exactly. Dickin, Mr. Dickin, Elijah Dickin, basically braver than the whole Uvalde Police Department. I mean, that has to be said. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. The, the reason, have you ever heard of the economic theory of regulation? There's an economist George Stigler won the Nobel Prize, um, but he, he basically believed that politicians use the regulatory system and the coercive powers of government to, you know, shape laws, pass laws uh, that exist for their personal benefit. And one of the examples of this, in my view, are these licensing requirements that police love to talk about and say how important they are for our safety. And our sheriff here in Las Vegas is one of them. He's running for governor, but he is a big gun regulator and not, in my view, a very friendly force in the Second Amendment sphere. Nonetheless, why is it? Because it would seem as a contradiction, no? I mean, every police officer I know loves, I think about this. Yes, I can say that, yeah. Every police officer I've spoken to about this loves the idea of the good guys being armed. And certainly on Sunday, with what happened in Indiana, you can see the benefits of it. But the other part of this that you have to understand is that licensing creates all sorts of perverse incentives for the people that operate the licensing scheme. 
One of the incentives, of course, is that it produces revenue. It produces money because guess what? The permit isn't free. And there is a bureaucracy of people that sit there and stamp and look and go through the records. And it keeps officers who perhaps have been injured are on desk duty. It keeps them employed. Now, no sheriff will go out there and admit it, but they end up being strange bedfellows with the crazy anti-gun liberals, right? You got the police chiefs who see this as a benefit in terms of revenue. I would also say that a number of people have pointed out that a police, well, the police chiefs, the superintendents, the union heads, right, the bigwigs, they don't want the concept of everybody walking around armed for another reason. And that is that it does, it will, certainly not even theoretically, but actually drive down crime. And in turn, perhaps reduce the need for additional police and funding and all the money that again comes with that. So this uh, to me is uh, it is always baffling when you see police chiefs and unions align with anti-gun liberals to both argue for some form of gun control. And this is a very important topic that we need to uh, need to need to wrestle with. There, there was an article uh, back in the '80s, a guy named Bruce Yandel. He was also an economist. Bootleggers and Baptists. The evolution of a regulatory economist, and you know, the premise of it, of course, being that bootleggers and Baptists got together and agreed on prohibition. Why? Well, the Baptists were, you know, teetotalers and, and didn't want anybody drinking and being, you know, gay and merry. Meanwhile, the bootleggers loved it too. Why? Because it kept them in business. If alcohol were to be legalized, the bootleggers would be out of money. And so an unholy union uh, was formed. So this guy actually goes out there and says, you know, a lot of social regulation that we have comes from these, the combined work, right, of these of oftentimes two completely opposed differing interest groups. And that's why we need to be real when it comes to gun control. We have to get, we, I'm telling you, in this world where it is as unsafe as it is, with as many crackpots out there, believe me, there's, there are more sane people, more good people in the world than the crackpots. So we simply shouldn't let the crackpots be the ones that, you know, get around the laws and do what they do. All right, don't go anywhere. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Sam Rajofsky here. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Interesting facts, uh, some statistics I wasn't aware of, sharing this with you regarding active shooter events from 2000 to 2021, so covering approximately 21 years. Of 464 individual events, in 73 of them, a bystander stopped the shooter. It's not very many, but it's maybe maybe more than I expected. Of the 73, 
49 of those are just through physical restraint. So charging the guy, attacking him, hitting him, punching him, holding him down, whatever it is. And in only 24 was the suspect shot by a bystander and thus, you know, taken out of or away from the ability to continue causing harm. Now, this is relevant uh, just to our discussion here of, of how important it is for responsible, trained, armed citizens <laughs> to do the right thing. Elijah Dickin from Indiana, who happened to be with his girlfriend at the Greenwood Park Mall on Sunday, coming out today as the hero of the day. A big contrast, of course, to the cops at Uvalde standing in the hallway of that elementary school applying, what was it, hand sanitizer and checking their phones for God knows what. Absolutely infuriating. We just needed Elijah there that day and maybe some lives would have been saved. Now, I, I need to, because I talked to Alan about it this morning, I need to get to this matter with Leah Thomas, nominated for the NCAA Woman of the Year Award. Now, her nomination was put forward by her school, University of Pennsylvania. Now, this to me... <laughs> I had to look up what the NCAA Woman of the Year Award was. Everybody's focusing on the fact that it's going to a woman, right? And we're, you know, knee-deep in debating whether Ms. Thomas should be competing as a woman against biological females who she's besting. And uh, so here's what it is. The NCAA Woman of the Year Award is given to a senior female athlete who has distinguished herself throughout her collegiate career in areas of academic achievement, athletics, excellence, service, and leadership. So my question, right, there's no NCAA Man of the Year award. There's different awards given to um, for basketball players and so forth, but there's not, not one overall award. But let's just say for a moment that there was an NCAA Man of the Year Award. My question is, had this person, Leah Thomas, never transitioned, what, well, would she even qualify? Right, that's the million-dollar question. I, I, UPenn, without, it's funny that they still have it posted. They have her stats posted on their website from when she competed as, as a man. Completely unremarkable. Uh, 2019 to 2020, competed in four of Penn's eight regular season events. Won the 500 free against Villanova. Okay, so he, being Will Thomas, was, I guess, his original name, won the 500 free against another school. Then there was second team all Ivy in the 500 free, 1,000 free, 1,650 free, reached the A final. I mean, it's just, you know, just kind of was there and won an event. Now let's flip the page because I have it here in front of me. 
to how she is doing as a female athlete. NCAA champion in the 500 free. Remember that? She won the 500 free back in March. And this is the event where she bested the three young women, Emma Wyant, Erica Sullivan, and Brooke Ford, who were all Olympic teammates in Tokyo. They were our Olympians. And they were beaten that day by Leah Thomas. So I, I look at this and I go, I, I don't see anything here that would have qualified her to win this award or even be considered for the award had she remained a male athlete. I know, I know, it's NCAA Woman of the Year, but I'm saying if there were an equivalent for a senior male athlete who has distinguished himself throughout his collegiate career in areas of academic achievement, athletics, it's excellence, blah, blah, blah. If that was the standard, would he qualify? Answer's no, because there's nothing in his record from three years before he transitioned that was anything remarkable. He was on the team. So no doubt a better swimmer than I am and most of, most of us, right? but still nowhere to be winning these types of events. And I think given the fact that even, even the New York Times is now willing to go out and step out on a little bit of a limb and say, hey, maybe, remember that opinion piece, the far right and far left agree on one thing, women don't count. I think her name was Pamela Paul, a writer of that piece. Even they are willing to start to question some of this insanity. And in the midst of all of this, the university itself doubles down and sticks it to those of us who are questioning these matters and go, hey, we're going to nominate Leah Thomas for this NCAA Woman of the Year Award. We're going to put this out there. We're going to stick our stamp of approval. We're going to make this an issue which is a typical you know, move by you know, a, a leftist institution like the like this school is, but I, I just, it's baffling. And I feel bad for the, I feel bad for the women. Because remember, the, those three girls that, that lost the NCAA championship, the 500 freestyle, well, they didn't lose, it came in second, third, and fourth. Brooke uh, Ford would have come in third, right? She would have been on the podium. Didn't even podium. Now, she was a good sport about it. This, these are the three girls that, of course, took pictures uh, of themselves, uh, excluding Leah Thomas after the race, created a bit of an upstir. And uh, they had to go out and actually apologize for that photo and explain it away, saying, no, we were all teammates from the Olympics. We've all known each other. We did this. But you can see in a wide angle of the shot the, the, the victor of the race being, you know, standing you know, by herself there on the podium and, it's just, a, it's, it's infuriating. If those, any of those were my daughters and had gone through years and years of sacrifice and work and all of this, um, I, I, I mean, the only other thing I can think of is we just do away with women's sports. We do away with it. We just, everything is, is male, female, and other. But of course, that, you know where that would head, right? Ultimately, we have women's sports in order to give women a place to compete and to win. 
just absolutely maddening. All right, when we come back, I want to get into this Jose Alba, the guy who fought off the attacker in the bodega. Guess what? The DA finally dropped the charges. I'm going to tell you why it's not enough. This is so infuriating. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here. News Talk 840 KXNT. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is so great. Uh, you're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here. Uh, so apparently some jokesters got together. And, and, and added as a location on Google Maps in the exact spot on that beach in Delaware where Joe Biden fell off his bike, they labeled it Brandon Falls and created a historic landmark there. Apparently, dozens of five-star reviews flooded the location, and then Google found out about it and shut it down. So it's no longer there, uh, but I have a screenshot of it. It's great. Right there on the map, between a World War II art, artillery fire observation tower and the north shores here of Cape Henlopen State Park is Brandon Falls. <sighs> Who says we conservatives can't have fun? Ah, Now here is what's not fun. And I want to get into this because I frequently talk about the issue of prosecutorial discretion, right? Who a prosecutor, an attorney general, or, or any particular state or local or federal um, law enforcement officer decides to charge, right? If you, if you decide to press charges, you can throw the full weight of the law down on someone. There are plenty of people who never get charged. And this happens routinely, and that is called prosecutorial discretion. And so who your prosecutor is in your county, in your state, who the attorney general is, those are very powerful positions. Now, in New York, we have news today that the bodega worker, Jose Alba, has finally been exonerated. The District Attorney there, Alvin Bragg, dropped murder charges formally this morning. Now, this, by, by the way, when you do this in a, in a case, you have to file, uh, you have to file it as a motion. You have to back it up with a certain uh, explanations for why you're not filing charges. And this particular motion noted that Alba, the bodega worker who if you remember i think this was uh when did this happen back in july july 1 a 35 year old violent ex-con austin simon goes around behind the counter it's all on video camera goes in there and begins pounding you know beating this guy who's 61 years old and i guess he had a knife behind the counter that he kept for self-defense pulls the knife out and somewhere in in all of this the the uh, the ex-con's girlfriend 
is also armed with a knife. She actually stabs Alba in the arm. That's just crazy. Alba is charged almost immediately after, thrown at Rikers Island. It's a $250,000 bond. And you know what the most insulting thing in all of this is that they perp-walked him. You know what the perp-walk is? What they do is they, the police apprehend a suspect, bring him to the police station, book him, and then call the reporters, call the media, and say, hey, we have so-and-so, and we're ready to, to show him off, and we're going to be transporting him to, you know, to, 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 to jail. And so and would you like to be here and ready with your cameras to take photos? It's a common practice. So they perp-walked him. They shamed this guy on top of all of it. And guess what? The woman who hasn't even been named, you know, was there in the store, participated in the attack, had a deadly weapon, charged at the bodega worker, Mr. Alba, knifed him in the arm. Guess what? Never charged and I look at this and I go, you know, in theory, right, felony murder is, if you heard of this term, felony murder is, is first-degree murder for a killing that occurs during a dangerous felony. So even, this is even if the defendant is not the killer. So for example, if you are, well, if, you're, if you are doing a, a robbery, a bank robbery, and you're the getaway driver, you're outside the building, and inside the building are guys that you decided to rob a bank with, and they're in there, and one of them gets killed by a bank guard. You're responsible. You can be charged for first-degree murder because you went into that and participated in a crime that was a serious felony that resulted in death. Now, depending on the jurisdiction, sometimes it's limited to certain things like robbery or a murder, but in this case... A normal district attorney who isn't totally woke would have charged her with the death of her boyfriend. If she's pulling out a knife and, and stabbing the guy, attacking the bodega worker, and the bodega worker fights back, ends up killing the boyfriend, who's also participating in the attack, potentially the, the, the chick can be responsible for that. So not just attempted murder, but murder one. Never arrested, never charged. So I took a moment and I went to, <laughs> because Alvin Bragg, he's one of these woke DAs. And I, I went to his website. You can look this up, Alvin Bragg, two Gs, B-R-A-G-G dot com. The very top of his campaign website is about reimagining pretrial detention. And this is the, the first sentence is the best part. It is a great moral stain on our justice system that we jail people because they are too poor to purchase their freedom. 
goes on to say that as a prosecutor and the defense attorney, he's seen people who've languished in jail because they simply couldn't afford the bond. He goes on to explain how that is why for nonviolent felonies and misdemeanors, he's doing away with cash bond, releasing jail populations going down 30%. All good news, great news, unicorns, pooping rainbows. I mean, the whole thing is just fantastic. And you know what it creates? It doesn't take a genius to connect the dots. This is why our cities are on fire. The impunity with which criminals conduct themselves now, knowing what's the worst that's going to happen. They're going to get arrested. They're going to go sit in the police station. They're going to go to jail and they're going to get released. They'll be out on the street 24 hours later. Because all of these George Soros-funded DAs that have swept the country, this is what their manifesto is. You're going to say, but Sam, hold on. It's, this is nonviolent crime. This is a, you're mixing apples and oranges. And I understand the argument, but I absolutely disagree with it. And the reason is that I'm convinced, by the way, you look at this guy that got knifed, that attacked the old... Uh, market worker, you look at his rap sheet, that, that guy was a felon. The reason that he felt that he could go behind the counter and smack around an old guy is because he'd gotten away with other stuff over and over again. Any of us that understand anything about, I don't know, just how human beings work knows that this is how this is how, if, it, if you just continue allowing people to get away with this stuff, walking into a Walgreens, stealing $800 worth of stuff and not even get arrested, sooner or later, these things spiral out of control. By the way, creating an environment where all these workers are fearing for their lives. Yesterday, I mentioned uh, Starbucks closing, what is it, 16, 18 stores, profitable stores simply because they are, uh, have, have multiple incidents of, of violence, of, of thefts, of problems, all associated with this policy. So yeah, why did it happen this way? Well, there was a narrative, right? We had, I mean, this Mr. Alba's, a, I think, a, 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 a seems to be a Hispanic guy, but his attacker was African-American. And Mr. Bragg and all of his woke DAs on staff looked at this and said, well, this just isn't right, and we have to do something about this, and made a case of it. And, and it was thankfully because of insane public outcry that this finally is now being laid to rest. They, they, they owe him more than an apology, friends. I, I'll be honest. I mean, this, they upended this guy's life. By the way, his stab wound in his, in his uh, shoulder that he got, the, the, the victim here, he ended up in Rikers, terrible jail in New York City, and then it got infected. They didn't give him medical care. I mean, the whole thing from top to bottom, absolutely shameful. And I, uh, my heart goes out to him. I, I think, I honestly think he has a malicious prosecution claim, even though it didn't all the way go all the way through. I, what has caused him is just unfathomable. All right, imagine you are in your home. Uh, maybe you live in not Vegas, but 
one of these cities where criminals get away with whatever they want. You're in your home when you realize there's an intruder there. And then, and humor me on this, folks, and then it gets worse. You realize that the intruder has been in your home for a week. You do not want to miss this. It's a new phenomenon. And <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna start checking under my bed at night after I after I saw this. All right, don't go anywhere. You're listening to the What's Right show. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT. Rarely wrong, always right. That's me, Sam Rajovsky, and you're listening to the What's Right show. Hey, down in San Diego, California, school board president says students must wear masks or don't bother returning to school. That's right. We're back to masking. How long is it going to take for it to come to Vegas? Well, let's wait for November 1st. It's probably going to happen before then. Uh, what's this lady's name? Sharon Whitehurst Payne, school board president for San Diego Unified, said, quote, they really should wear the mask. That's it. They wear the mask. It doesn't matter if they're uncomfortable with it. That's not the point. Just return. And if they don't, they should just stay home. Folks, have we not learned a thing? The answer is no, we have not. Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi ducking questions over her husband's $1 million purchase of NVIDIA computer chip stock. This basically happened days before a pending vote in Congress where there's an intent, at least, to give an enormous amount of subsidies, government subsidies, to NVIDIA in order for a bunch of these chips for the U.S. government. I mean, look, this is insider trading. By the way, people get prosecuted for pillow talk all the time, meaning uh, between a, a man and a woman, whatever, two partners, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is. And if you have advanced knowledge or given advanced inside knowledge of something that is material to the stock price of a particular company, it's a federal offense. And for whatever reason, it seems... That in this Congress, it is absolutely acceptable when countless Americans, when they engage in this kind of stuff, get caught, they uh, get prosecuted and put away. CNN, MSNBC, CBS, all ignoring this. The major's not going after it at all. Of course, it's getting a little bit of daylight on Fox News. It, it, this is a scandal. It, and it's not peanuts right it's it's this is a big deal and by the way if you think that what is it i think there's a it's a big order i mean it's in the billions of dollars if you don't think that is a material effect on stock price you're 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 uh i don't know what you're smoking but pass me some this is a big it's 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 gonna have an effect and by the way as i understand he's paul pelosi has put in an order exercise 200 call options for about 20,000 shares. So it's actually between $1 million and $5 million in value. So this is going to make a lot of money on this. Good for him. Absolutely crazy. All right. Have you heard of frogging? Not like the frog. It's P-H-R-O-G-G. -G. 
ing. This is a new phenomenon that is defined, and I had to, I had to look at you know the usual place here for uh, uh, these um, new phrases. Frogging is a personal is a person secretly living in another person's home. It gets its name because frogs, as people who engage in this kind of activity are called, tend to hop around from house to house, as a frog might do on a lily pad, but it's spelled differently. Okay, so what is this? Apparently, there is, uh, was a, a young lady and, and a gentleman married couple in Honolulu, Brittany and James Campbell, uh, the couple and their two young sons had been away from their Honolulu home for about a week. They return to find, try to open the door, and they couldn't open the door because there was somebody inside their house pushing back at the door. So anyway, the guy calls the police, and the police come. They arrest the guy. They get into the house, and they make an absolutely horrifying discovery, and that is that this guy's been living there for a while, and not just for the two weeks, right, that he was in the house. He was living, observing the family. He knew, for example, that the wife, Brittany, was undergoing uh, some, some uh, fertility treatments. He had a journal where he detailed how he intended to do medical experiments on the homeowners. He was wearing their clothes. The journal, by the way, was called The Omnivore Trials, A Rehabilitation for Rat-Like People. He had knives laid out next to the computer. He wanted to do sexual reconstruction surgery and a hand transplant. Absolutely horrifying. So apparently, A&E is doing a show on this. And here is a little clip of this. I don't know if this... This might be one of the most terrifying things I've heard in a while. Intruder secretly living inside her attic. Man found hiding between a family's walls. Man slithers out from under home. Make sure your crawl spaces are locked. I hear footsteps. I'm vulnerable, naked, and someone is in my house. There was somebody violating my home. I want to believe it's in my head. You came into my home. You invaded my privacy. I am ready. Anybody comes at me in this moment is going to get a face full of a claw hammer. A face full of a claw hammer. Friends, here's a suggestion. <laughs> a person this deranged in your house, you better come at them with something more than a claw hammer. Number one, I have to tell you this. I, I'm astounded still by how many friends I have that don't really properly lock up their homes. You know, they live in a gated community and they think that they're safe. It's just mind-blowing. If you, if you can easily get into your house, someone else will too. So don't think it won't happen. The other thing I have to say is you, gotta, you absolutely have to have a safe at home for valuables, but also... For guns, you got to keep your guns safe from your kids, but you also need to keep them safe from somebody coming into your house and potentially using them on you. And this final point is why concealed carry laws are so important, why law-abiding people should, if possible, 
carry a loaded firearm. You walk back into your house, you come home, you're not prepared. You're not going to say, excuse me, Frogger, I need to go and find my gun safe right now because I'm going to shoot you dead. No. But if you've got your firearm on you, you certainly can, can take care of somebody who intends to do you harm. This is absolutely, uh, absolutely uh, uh, horrifying. And, um, and does it happen? Apparently it happens and it's a, it's a thing. And, and by the way, property crimes and burglaries, you know, it's back to catch and release and it's emboldening criminals. And so you have these crazy situations happening. And it's funny enough, it's, we're turning it into a TV show and I just hope that when people see it, they connect the dots when they go and vote in November. So important. All right. You guys know where to go for the podcast. If you've missed any portion of the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you look up What's Right Show. That's where you go. And find the program, click to subscribe, and download all the episodes. Plus, we do occasionally some extra stuff that doesn't go on air. So we do that. All right. Excellent. I need to run tomorrow we're gonna have a great show i'm looking forward to it already lots of things happening please again go to the podcast and my socials you know this drill too uh, what's right sam what's right show twitter and instagram uh, please follow those for up to the minute haps and i'll be back here tomorrow too on news talk 840 kxnt